0: Hey there, welcome to episode 120 of the podcast. I seriously can't believe we've been doing this for 120 episodes already, but I've had such a blast embarking on this podcasting journey with you. So thank you truly for being here. At Wellness and Wanderlust, we're all about creating a safe container to share our stories and learn how we can transform our lives through small changes in habits and mindset. In keeping up with our theme of resilience, which we've had for the last few weeks on the show, we are talking today with Susan Burrell, the author of Live Your Empowered Life, and host of the Empowering Chats with Susan Burrell podcast. Susan is also an intuitive healer and a spiritual guide who helps her clients through life's many crossroads. In our conversation, Susan shares how she first got into this type of work and the many ways we shut down our own intuition throughout the course of our lives. We talk about the role that the patriarchy plays in the world and the importance of inviting in the divine feminine, the journey from worthless to worthy and how we can get there, ways to lead with love even in times of political turmoil, and the many lessons our travels can teach us. I'm going to let our fabulous guest fill you in more. So without further ado, let's hear from Susan Burrell. Hi, Susan. Thank you so much for
1: joining us at Wellness and Wanderlust. I can't wait to see what we talk about, Valerie, especially because of the wonderlust. because I got that, that wander lust.
0: Oh, well, I'm so excited to get into that with you. I think there are so many different ways we can go with that. And before we do that, why don't you first just introduce yourself to our listeners, let them know a little bit about you. I'm Susan Burrell,
1: and I am an intuitive healer and spiritual guide. I mostly work with women who are at the crossroads of life and not knowing who they are, either because they've gone through a divorce or they're empty nesters or they changed jobs and they just want to learn how to reinvent themselves. And I, I guide them into the inner sanctum of their mind and heart, if you will, so that they can actually find a true answer that really does create sustainable transmutation, if you will.
0: I love that. And I know that a lot of times when I talk to healers and coaches and people who are really working to guide people at these crossroads and at different times in their lives, so many times the people that I'm talking to, maybe they've gone through their own crossroads or their own challenges, their own journey that kind of led them there, or you know, they, they end up becoming kind of the person that they almost wish that they had at the beginning of their own journey. Talk to me about how you got into the work that you do. I'm always fascinated to hear these stories.
1: Well, I've been a spiritual quester since I was like 17, and I just knew there was something more it's almost like I had like a remembering, but didn't really understand what that was. So I just started questing and asking questions. And, um, you know, I studied with uh, a couple of uh, medicine women, a shaman. I read every metaphysical book I could get my hands on until I found my own spiritual practice. And I started meditating at a very young age, not in any kind of structured way, but meditating and then journaling and just kind of listening within and found that I was really good at that. And the meditation piece kind of happened more naturally. I remember when I was younger, I would listen to guided meditations. I'd go to a, a seminar and people would do guided meditations, so you could find your, what what's your goal or visualizations, right? And I found that when I was doing my daily spiritual practice, I could easily visualize and see as I was meditating, and I would be intuitively guided by source energy, if you will, to either face a, a fear I was avoiding or to um, see a bigger picture of my future, my life, you know, not, and I'm not psychic. I gotta tell you, I'm not psychic, but the intuition piece, the deep listening within is what... Guided me, um, until I, I kind of shut it down for like 30 years of my life because I got into a, a marriage that. While there's lots of good things that came out of it, like I have a a, a son who just got married, there was a lot of gaslighting and shutting down of my intuition. So I began to not trust my intuition as my leader, and then I trusted my husband or my and my ex husband, or you know I began to outsource my authority instead of listening to the inner authority, which is the highest authority of all. You know, it's spirit. So. Um, so that's kind of how I got to this place. And so once I went through divorce, I I realized my intuitive had like quadrupled, multiplied, and all I, I could see and feel and sense more than I ever had since my twenties. So yeah. So then that just informs me when I work with clients or when I teach, I can hear and feel, I listen on multiple levels now, so I can feel or hear what needs to be said or which individual in the room is really struggling. And then I can address the group when I'm teaching, I address the group so that the individual doesn't get called out, but they get it. Yeah. So that's kind of how I got there, I guess. I find that to be
0: fascinating. And I went through an emotionally abusive relationship in my 20s. And I found so very similarly with the gaslighting that I really was not trusting myself. And I got to a point where anytime I thought one thing, I was almost playing devil's advocate with myself, really just didn't <laughs> believe it, it. Like if it came from me, I'm like, well, it can't be right. And it I can't gotta be true. Yeah. It. Yeah. And like, I, I'd i love to, because I think, especially women, I think we find as we get older that we've been intuitive this whole time and we've had this inner knowing, but actually learning to trust it and not shut it down the way that either partners have, have maybe called upon us to do or adults when we were children or wh- whatever the case may be. How do we start tapping into that? And how did you start to trust yourself as that inner authority again and like
1: what, what do you do with clients who are maybe going through that? Well, oftentimes, okay. I, there's like five things I want to say to you. Valerie, <laughs> <said> all that. <laughs> it's a big question. Um, I, I'll probably forget the rest of them. But so when I work with clients, again, I listen intuitively and, and while they're telling their story and sometimes people have to sit and tell their story a lot, I'm listening to asking the question, what is the truth that wants to be revealed here? What is the truth? And oftentimes, uh, especially for women, and I want to talk about women and the patriarchy, but especially for women, they don't know really who they are. And when I listen intuitively to what they're really trying to say underneath, it's often that I don't like myself. I don't love myself. I don't respect myself. I don't trust myself, like you said. And once that once that can come to light, the truth can come up to the light, then we can begin to deconstruct the trauma that that maybe created that or the family of origin belief systems, you know, whatever it is, we can dive deep into it. And I usually only work with women that are ready to do that deep dive. I'm not here to mamby-pamby and hold somebody's hand unless they're really doing the deep inner work.
0: And that's hard work, I think, too, because there are things that come. I mean, they're painful truths for us. I think it's hard when we realize that not necessarily that I caused X, Y, and Z to happen, but that I did, you know, not have that love for myself, and I didn't, you know, what, whatever it may be. But the, the feelings that we have about ourselves that we end up allowing certain behaviors for a lot longer than maybe we like long past their expiration date. I think, and yeah, so yeah, I think it's a really hard thing to grapple with.
1: Yeah. Well, and and oftentimes it's hard to grapple with because there's such a huge amount of fear. What if I, what if I go deep into this and what if I face myself, you know, like there used to be a, I, I know people still do this, but you, where you look at yourself in the mirror and you look yourself in the eyes and, you know, you say, I love myself. Well, if I don't have that fundamental sense of loving myself, I'm not looking in the mirror. Do you know what I mean? I can't look at my uh, myself in the eyes. So facing the fear of what might, you know, the boogeyman hiding at the bottom of the well, if you will, in my mind has to happen first so that that shakes the dirt off of the roots of the belief systems enough that you can uproot them. But if you're trying to love yourself more on top of the boogeyman and in the, in the bottom of the well and the dirt and the muck and the crap, you're just going to get more dirt and muck and crap until you excavate and clear it out. And that takes a lot of courage. It takes persistence. It takes strength. It takes being willing to be vulnerable. And those of us that have been traumatized, we don't want to be vulnerable. That, Mm -hmm. that's scary stuff to, you know, open my heart again and love myself or, or love someone else. That's really scary. So it does take somebody to walk with us on that path and then encourage us when we begin to crack all those hardened places that have covered us up and hit our light and hit our heart and you know kept us protected or whatever. But I think I want to talk about the patriarchy, if you're okay with this, Valerie. Of course. Because it's fascinating to me how many different people I talk to, and mostly I talk to women, and everybody says, but I don't know why I'm like this. How come I don't trust my intuition? And I will tell you, your listeners, um, it's because we've lived in several centuries of patriarchy where the women's intuition, it, it used to be that the masculine and feminine, the male and female were partnered and led countries and and governments and spiritual paths together. And as There was a shift in, mm, I I don't want to offend anybody, but a shift in in religion. Then the male, because there was quite a a few masculine, patriarchal, dominated religions at the time, and we're talking 2000 years, it happened earlier, but that's when the women had to go into hiding. That's where we had to, our in, we couldn't trust our intuition that the man was in charge. The man is the Caesar. The man is the one building the pyramids, or the man is the one, all these things. The man is the leader because the man can fight and slaughter the entire village while he's raping and pillaring, right? And the woman has to stay home and don't listen to your intuition. And you're not suited for leadership because women have huge intuition. We also are very empathic because. We're the ones that have to make sure the household is safe, the babies are safe, there's enough food for the village, there's all this stuff. So the patriarchy, which is crumbling, we've been watching it for the last 10 years, 30 years, it's no longer got the stronghold or stranglehold, and we're seeing the last throes of it across the world with wars and and all that garbage. But the women were always the ones that held on to their intuition, and the men had to not be empathic and not necessarily listen to their intuition because they were following their generals or their caesar or their king and they had to do heinous horrible things because that caesar that caesar king pope wanted more more land, more money, more jewels, more more more. So they had to shut down their intuition so they operate in in that kind of a world and the women held on to their intuition and there are amazing, beautiful religions, like I said earlier, where women and men serve together, work together, see each other as either equals or complementary of the other dynamic so that that partnership can thrive. And the way I've discovered this besides research and reading and everything is going into deep meditations and asking questions.
0: Yeah, I can definitely see what the I mean, with the patriarchy I think about I mean, the women literally being
1: burned at the stake if you know, years ago, I was in Scotland with a group and we walked to this very, 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 very old care, which is a church. And the cemetery was really old, like I mean, four or five centuries. And it was at the base of this cliff and the person that was leading the group that day said that this particular cliff, women were pushed off the cliff. And if they flew, they were witches. And if they didn't, oh, well, splat. Right? And, and men were doing that not because the women were witches, but because the women held power or held land. They were landowners, successful businesswomen. And so all they had to do was just call Witch and see if they could fly, and then they could take over whatever property they wanted. And And th- they got away with murder, literally. They got away yeah. with murder.
0: Well, it's like they, they say how like a man's biggest fear, and this isn't necessarily his biggest fear, but when they say that the man's biggest fear is being laughed at and the woman's biggest fear is the man killing her. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's... It's crazy. And I can see how that generational trauma, that collective trauma that, you know, maybe again, it's hundreds of years ago, but we still, I think, feel it. And we still know that there's a price to pay when we do share or we when we, when we do take that power, when we... I, I think when we just show the gifts that we have and bring those to the world, I think, it can still be really scary. And you mentioned that you do meditation and ask questions sometimes Mm -hmm, to, mm -hmm. um, what kind of questions do you ask in that particular circumstance?
1: Well, once I get grounded and centered in the meditative space of my (laughs) heart, Mm -hmm. because I drop into my heart, because I really believe that the truth, the divine wisdom of the universe resides in our heart, not our head. If you drop into your heart, you can ask questions like, what's the solution to this problem I'm facing? Or who am I now? Who am I now has been a big question for me over the last few years. Who am I now? And, and then I can hear, you know, you are love, you are happiness, you are joy. And it comes from myself, not somebody outside of me telling me where, you know, because years ago, when people when I was going through divorce, people I was so shattered and people would say, girlfriends would say, oh, don't worry, you're going to get over it. I was like, what are you talking about? And you know what? You're going to be happier than you, you know, you're just going to be happy. Don't worry about it. And I was like, well, I have no proof of that. So I can't trust that. But when I get into that space within myself and I just ask questions like, who am I now? What's mine to do? What's the solution to this issue that I'm facing? And then I journal it out. I Sometimes I just listen and I, because oftentimes I'll be kind of presented in my meditation with things to do. Like uh, in 2021, I took the entire year off from my business. I only did podcasting. I had other things I was doing. And I just daily, I spent at least two hours every morning doing meditation, journaling, doing some contemplative uh, reading. And at one point, when I was asking, you know, how come I don't love myself? I heard it's because it's generational. This isn't yours. You not loving you is not yours. You It just got passed down to you. And uh, suddenly I saw my female side, my mom's side, my dad's side, generationally, going back generations. Gener- I, I don't even know who this first person was that started that. But, you know, often on the feminine side, it's a woman feeling that they are, of course, undervalued because we were abused. So I'm not going to love anybody, or I deserve the abuse, so I can't love myself because I, I there's something wrong with me. And these are these were belief systems, generationally that get passed down. So then I once I saw that, then I knew I didn't want my son and my grandchildren, seven generations from now, to feel that they were undervalued or they were worthless or whatever. So I did a healing. I was guided to do a healing during that meditation and healed the ancestral line on my mom's side and my dad's side of feeling worthless. And then I sent the vibration of love down into the future generations to let them know that they are absolutely loved and adored and we can't wait to meet them. That kind of a thing. Now, that doesn't mean I don't still experience self-doubt and every once in a while I, I'll do a little rewind into self-sabotage, you know, because I don't trust that I'm valuable in that minute. But those kinds of meditations that I did just set me free, really set me free, opened my mind, allowed my inner conduit of spirit to really source up, you know, uh, into a higher attunement with love and so and i pull love in if i don't feel it i pull it down i i align to a higher frequency of love all the time
0: yeah I well, I think there's, I mean, there's so much to be said about the generational trauma, I think, energetically and even biologically, they're finding when they've done these studies in, um, you know, in rat populations and things like that, and they've put them through certain situations, the babies and like at least the next, I think they've said the next two or three generations so far that they've tested are experiencing actual genetic changes, because I think so many times people think, well, I don't know about that. Is that a little bit woo? And I truly believe that there is so much that we carry with us that it really is just not ours to carry. So I think that those meditations just sound so powerful because yeah, there, there really is so much where sometimes I wonder where did the, like, where did this even come from sometimes?
1: Well, so, you know, you know, Valerie, we, we as a humanity, have been around for eons on planet Earth. There's other entities, they don't call themselves humanity, they call it something else and they live on other planets. Seriously, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know, woo. Um, But (laughs) we've been around for so long and so the the wounding gets carried and passed down unless it's cleared. And in order to clear wounding, you've gotta gotta grow up in, in the sense that you've got to become awake and aware that you are, more than your five senses that you're more than the physical body that you're more than the money you think you need to live on or or whatever that you're more than the poverty you're living in or the food that you're eating you're just we're all more than that and the physical body is just for us to be incarnated on planet earth to learn that to grow and evolve grow and evolve and humanity has been growing and evolving for eons and we are currently poised I've just been studying this in a 20-year bridge from 2012 to 2032, and the bridge is moving us from the age of Atlantis, which was the previous golden age, to the age of Aquarius. I, and I'm learning this because I'm reading some books by um, Diana Cooper. So that's fascinating because I have always felt when I was started my spiritual path, I could see bridges that needed to be built, but I didn't know what that meant. And now here we are definitely on a bridge. We're moving from the patriarchy to the divine feminine coming back in to help balance the masculine feminine within each of us. And therefore, then it will help balance humanity on the planet. And hopefully we won't see all this disenfranchising and slaughtering of individuals like it's it's going on everywhere on the planet right now. So hopefully those of us that are awake and develop our consciousness- we can serve humanity with love and we can serve not not for our gain but for humanity's gain and progress and for for the earth for the earth to kind of begin to restabilize again
0: yeah i really do agree and it's always so interesting some of the like the conversations that we're starting to have in this in this iteration and you know i was on a podcast not too long ago where we were really getting into some of the deep traumas that many of us had faced and just the fact that people are starting to, I think, embrace the vulnerability more. We're starting to have a little bit more of that enlightenment. I really do feel that we are moving toward that consciousness, but it can be really disheartening sometimes when you then see some of the, I guess, maybe this is like the eternal question, but you see so much of the, I guess, the the not so enlightened, the just the wild things going on in the world. And I try to approach so much with love, but it can be so challenging, I think, when you see the world. Sometimes going in the opposite direction. How do we approach the world with love when we're maybe feeling that sense of hopelessness and maybe an election time
1: or in times of war, things like that? Yeah, we're getting ready for uh, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. You're probably too young to know what that was, but yeah, just hang on. So what I've been doing, the practice I started to develop last year is, I used to do it all the time, but I, I, I guess I just remembered I need to do this, is blanketing the trauma areas like where there's been a mass shooting or like Ukraine and Russia and and all of those poor people that are being told to do horrible things and are doing them blank. And the people that are homeless now and in the freezing winter, blanketing that area with, I, I just see like a big blanket of love that just falls on it like snow. And then another blanket of peace. And I just, as I'm going to sleep at night, that's what I do. If I, if, if there's somebody in my realm, you know, in my family or my friends, somebody's suffering, I try and see them blanketed in love and peace. So that, because we're in constant stimulation and reaction to as human beings. And so our adrenals and our body has such a hard time resetting unless we intentionally ask it our body to do that by some people say, Oh, just turn off your brain. I can't do that. You know, I wake up at three in the morning and I'm like problem solving something. Either that or I'm singing a, a song from a musical, but it yeah. doesn't matter. So just blanketing myself and my husband or my son or my dad or whoever whoever's feeling anxious with love and with peace seems to calm things down. It, it at least it calms me down, you know, Valerie. So <laughs> yeah. Um that that's one of the things that I do because I think it's important.
0: Yeah, well we have so little control over what's going on in the world and I mean we can only I mean yes, we can certainly take action and advocate for certain things if that's what we're called to do, but there comes a point where we just don't have the control in the situation, but we do have some control over how we approach it and what we're bringing to it. And I have to laugh about Mr. Toad. I did go, when i went to disney as a little kid i cried on mr toad's wild ride oh, so yeah. that is my one memory of mr toad but just the reaction i had as a little kid makes me think it's yeah
1: it's it's a tough it's a tough one yeah well it was a it was um, a um it was a psychotic drug episode yeah that created that book you know it's like wow but um can i speak back to Feeling that there isn't a lot we can do, which we've all gone through this helplessness, this hopelessness. What can I do to make things different? And I have really come to a place where, as I try not to react. Now, you might not to talk to me when we go through the election, Valerie, because I'm <laughs> sure I'll be yelling at the TV again. But I try not to react and, like I said, blanket of love. But the reason why I try not to react or get involved, get involved in the story and then run around telling the story, because now I'm I'm propagating it. You know, it's, it's multiplying. Oh, let me tell you the story I saw on the news. You know, my dad watches the news all the time. No, dad, can't listen. Stop. Because the reason why the blanket of love and peace works is because we, as humanity, are in inner connected and interconnected. So there is uh, you know in quantum physics there is a non-linear component of energy that we if I think peace for Ukraine right now and I send peace energy there there's areas there that will absolutely calm down. I'm telling everybody you can do this. You don't have to be there or you don't have to be standing on a freeway overhead with your posters. You can if you want, but If you simply just open your heart and send love to anyone who is in fear or is in a volatile situation, it will calm down the situation. It could even transform it immediately. This is why people can heal themselves and others by knowing and trusting that the energy is all connected because we're all one. We are all one. Doesn't matter what we look like or what we have for breakfast, we are all one. And that right there is that, like, it's an energy system. It's a, it's a net. And we can absolutely fire off hatred and anger, which is what we see on the news in this country, or we can we can send out love and peace. And that, I have to believe, is the thing that is going to turn the tide for humanity and create a much better place on planet Earth for everyone, everyone. Doesn't matter what religion you are. Doesn't matter what sexual preference you have. It doesn't matter because we're all connected. And so when when one person is harmed on the opposite side of the planet, it hurts me. It hurts all of us. And it's because there is that deep connection that's source energy. You know, it's just all, it's just source energy. And the more we wake up and become aware that my reaction, out of fear, out of anger, out of grief, out of shame, it has impact even to people that I I will never see in my life. Then I will not do that as much, and I will do more of loving and supporting others in a non-local way, which is what I do. That's actually what I do. That's actually why um, a lot of people that come to me when I do the I do this spiritual mind treatment with them, and they have results. And it's the same when I do guided meditations for groups, they have results because I absolutely, absolutely know that we as individuals can heal ourselves and can heal humanity.
0: Yeah. It's like hurt people, hurt people, but healed people can heal people.
1: Yeah. So you're the second person I've talked to who used that phrase this week. Wow. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, you gotta love the synchronicities. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
0: yeah. I mean, because I think even on a very small scale, like if I, whether it's at work, go into a meeting, coming from a certain, you know, bringing in all of, you know, all of my reactivity, all of the problems that I, you know, my lack of sleep the night before, whatever it is, if I if I show up that way, like I'm not going to be treating people the way that they need to be treated, and it's gonna just compound. It's gonna make everything worse. If I can approach things from a better place, even if I'm not necessarily being treated in the way that I'd like to be treated in that moment. But if I'm bringing love to the equation and I'm doing the best I can to not be reactive and to whether it's to hold space for the people that are there or just to to be my my true self and to, to bring that love forward. It's going to make things better in the long term, even if I don't see it that way at that time.
1: Yeah. What you're describing is um, what goes around comes around, right? And I call it the law of circulation. And when the secret came out and everybody was talking about the law of attraction, well, they missed the first piece. In order to attract something, you have to send something out. Meaning you have to, instead of gimme, 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 I want, I want, I want, you got to send something good out and then it comes back multiplied to you. So if you want more love, you got to send out love and let it come back multiplied and it will be astounding how it shows up. But the same with if you want money, right? That money's just energy. So if you want to activate your your money connection, it's important that you give. I tithe, I tithe, listen to me. I give money. Uh, I stepped up this year. I, I have always given to a nonprofit. And I would generally pick one and give for um, the month of December. But eight years ago or nine years ago, I started giving to a group called the International Rescue Committee, and they deal with refugees. And I'm so glad that I started that 10 years ago because this year it was easy for me to say, you know what, I'm up in the game, I'm going to give them x and so amount a month and i i've decided to do that with planned parenthood Big proponent about planned parenthood Mm -hmm. and it's not about abortion people it's about education and a women's right to their own choice not Mm -hmm. a government's right and then i also give to canine companions who um specifically to the section of it that gives disabled veterans a new lease on life with a, by giving them a, a guide dog that can help them. and um, And again, I decided those three organizations I will give monthly to, not just once a year, but monthly. And as I'm giving out, I absolutely know that that money is A, doing amazingly good, necessary work, but B is going kind to of come back to me in some way, shape, or form. You know, whether it's in, it's a kaching in my bank account or something else, I'm just absolutely know because I I know how the universe works.
0: Yeah, I've always felt that we have a responsibility to give back in whatever way makes it So for some people, maybe they can't give back financially, but then you have that responsibility to give back your time or your talent or whatever it is. And I mean, I think it like, cause I have people ask me sometimes, well, where do you find the time? And some sometimes I do kind of laugh and I'm thinking, well, maybe I need to like budget this a little bit, like budget the time a little bit better <laughs> um, for my sanity, especially at certain times of the year. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm never going to regret having given back. And I, I don't think that's ever something that people do regret. You hear a lot of other, you know, like deathbed type of regrets, unfortunately. Right. And I think it's so fun. Like I I normally don't talk about this kind of thing on the podcast, but with Planned Parenthood and with everything going on with those laws, it almost ties back to me. I think it's very much like these, like like Roe v. Wade, all of that. It's it's not about being pro life. It's about controlling women. And exactly, that was a time. It was it was just really hard for me to approach the world with love when all of this is happening. And then I'm seeing women in my own life who need those services, whether whether it's for abortion, but also just for women's health needs and having nothing to do with the right to choose. And it's, it, it's difficult, I think, coming into this time of enlightenment where we're seeing that we're overall, the world is moving in that right direction, but then seeing the country move so far backward and being in a state that where where it is like that it, it's really it, it's a hard thing to grapple with.
1: It's a very hard thing especially my my generation of women when that occurred and Roe versus Wade was turned over. You have to look at some of the people on the Supreme Court too cuz they're supposed to be non-biased, right? They're supposed to be. They're supposed to be making judgments for the highest good of the country. And there's people that Oh my God, I saw one of them getting confirmed and I was like, that is so many ways wrong. So for my generation, that overturn was devastating. I have college friends. We were all just raging. I was enraged. I was I was enraged. And then I realized how it got twisted in the conversation. They thought that, that that it really was about abortion as opposed to human rights there's a difference. We we were just saying women's rights, but it's really human rights. And when we can get to a higher consciousness that we're all connected and we all have a right to a healthy life, to a life without poverty, to a life with, you know, a house, a roof over our head and all that, when we can really get that we, if, if there's somebody who doesn't have that, well, it affects us as well. So, yeah. So I was enraged. I have... And calmed that enragement because I want to encourage everybody that's listening to see if you can rise above the the circumstances happening, whether it's your personal life or the United States right now or globally, rise above it enough so you might get a glimpse of the bigger picture. And I think the bigger picture that might be happening right now goes back to the shift between the patriarchy, uh, the masculine and the feminine, and who's in charge. And it's not to say that women have to be in charge. That's not what I'm saying. If you think that at the end of this conversation, you didn't hear it. What I'm saying is the divine feminine coming back into balance with the divine masculine. So we create a, a balanced idea. And so consequently in organisms, once it's done its course, it has to fall apart. It has goes into a, a disintegration process and it looks like chaos but in the chaos something else is coming out of it that's getting rewired that's going to be a healthier organism if you will that can handle the changes that have occurred or that are going to occur and i think that we're in that place of chaos that's causing everything to structures to fall apart and in that chaos There is, just like I know that love heals all, in that chaos, I absolutely know, well, right now in this minute, Valerie, I absolutely know (laughs) that, that something really amazing and beautiful and healthy for humanity and for planet Earth is coming into expression. And so I just stand as a conduit for spirit and hold light, shine light, vibrate love so that that good thing that's happening, even though we're seeing an appearance of lying, cheating, killing, maiming, blah, 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 that's just an appearance. It's not really where we're going to end up. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, I guess a lot of the things that we're seeing in Congress right now and within the Supreme Court, I mean, I feel like it's like that last attempt, like it's like that last attempt to hold on to something that's going to go away. It's like it's, it's like a few steps backward almost, but like, I mean, I have to remain hopeful that, that we are going to continue moving forward. And it just really is that last struggle, I guess, to, to hold on to the old ways and to the things that, yeah, that, that are setting people back. And
1: I think you're, I think you're absolutely hit spot on. It's the last gasp. Yeah. The last gasp and people don't like change. Nobody likes change. And when something needs to change, it has sometimes. If people don't want to change, <laughs> then something dramatic has to happen to get them to wake up and go, "Oh shit, I gotta change. If I stand here in this boiling pot, I'm gonna die. I gotta get out of the pot. I gotta you know, get out of the the heat. But I think what we're watching and and experiencing some of us is how hardened the consciousness became on the planet and how hardened the mat, which is why the, the masculine is, it's being, basically it's being chipped away and, and the people have to pry their fat little dirty fingers off of it so we can move forward.
0: Yeah. So what does, what does the world look like then with the masculine and the feminine really balanced?
1: Well, I've been seeing it as, okay, so the masculine, the patriarchy is a top-down pyramid, right? There's a CEO or CFO or a gazillion millionaire at the top And then all of the, he gets all the money, and the people at the bottom are the ones doing the work. That's basically how it is. I think when it started, it was going to be more magnanimous, but that's where it is now. And the divine feminine, women always sit in a circle, a quilting circle, you know, and they share. They would share, you know, in the old, you know, in the pioneer days, the, the on the on the western frontier of America, women, the pioneer women would get together to to quilt a blanket because somebody was getting married. And as they're sitting there sewing and stitching, they're sharing childbirth tips. They're sharing gardening tips or you know, farming tips. They're sharing taking care of the children so they can make this quilt. They're sharing information uh, about what's happening in the town. Now, some of that is gossip, but information is necessary. And in that circle, then, everybody's seen and heard. They're allowed a voice. They're allowed an opinion. In the highest good, I see the circle as everybody's listening, nobody's judging. And the ideas that come up into the circle are the ones that collectively we can act on. But if it's one person standing at the top of every government telling the underlings what to do, it, it just doesn't work anymore. So there has to be a collective, there has to be a circle of some kind so that everyone can contribute because that's also how we raise our value, our worthiness, our we move from worthless to worthy by being able to have being seen and heard and feeling like we gave value into the group. The community because we're moving into community in a far different way so i just see it i see it that way You know, I was explaining this to my mom a couple years ago before she died, and she freaked out. She's like, well, who's going to be in charge of the government? I said, that I don't know, Mom, because we haven't done this experiment yet. But I think this is the next experiment. We've had lots of experiments during the course of humanity. I think this one is the next one. And, you know, hopefully it'll elevate us into a higher connected consciousness. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, I always think it's short-sighted to think that this is the, like, this is the final frontier, like, this is the final way right. that like, society <laughs> is going to be structured. It's like, I mean, I I love watching my sci-fi into the, you know, into the future. And I mean, like, who, who's to say that there aren't other societal structures that, that we've either had in the past or that we just haven't really looked at or on a global scale. So I, I do think that there, there's something to that. On, I'd say, on an individual scale, for somebody who's trying to move from that worthlessness to worthiness, what advice do you have when I think a lot of times we don't have control of what structures are put in place for us at the time, but how do we start to be seen and heard and what are some practices that we can take to start that journey for ourselves?
1: So I remember when I kind of woke up and I went, oh, I have to be responsible for me. I got to be self-responsible and that doesn't just mean paying the bills i mean self-responsible and taking care of how i see things and what i say and and all of that so i'm really big about meditation you you guys have heard that clearly i'm big about meditation because but I'm big about and I'm big about journaling. Oh, Valerie, I wrote a book called "Live an Empowered Life." It's a 30-day workbook, and um, and there's journaling, and there's guided meditations, and there's affirmations. And anything that can turn your mind and keep it focused on the positive. And so getting the garbage out of your head and then seeing where you maybe forgot what your life purpose is or was or wh- or the, the dreams that you wanted to live. I was going to walk the red carpet. <laughs> but now I'm doing a, the bigger, better part of the dreams, which is the traveling. I'm traveling. I go to Europe, even during the pandemic, everyone, it wasn't hard to do. I go to Europe every year and I'm fortunate that I've got a spouse who loves to travel. So we travel a lot. Getting out of your comfort zone I think is important and you can do that through traveling, but you also have to get out of your comfort zone through meditation because the more you anchor yourself, ground yourself to the earth and to the highest, the more aligned you are, the more you're, you're able to bounce back from trauma decisions or he said, she said kind of stuff and really see, begin to see with a clear eye. And so I used, last year I used, well, I have always used affirmations, but my affirmations shifted and I take the affirmation into meditation. So I bring it down into my heart. So it begins to resonate in the physical, mental and emotional bodies. And so my affirmation went something like, I live and move in an atmosphere of love. I see clearly with the eyes of love, all is well. Simple. I love that.
0: That's such a powerful thing. And I think no matter what it is that we're going through, what it is that we're trying to find clarity on, I think that that is something that can be universal. And as long as we're moving in that direction, I mean, That's so empowering. And I love the travel aspect to it as well. And just something I'd love to know, in addition to the getting out of your comfort zone, just with your travels, is there anything that you've, well, I'm sure you've learned a lot from your travels, but anything you've learned from the different cultures in terms of, I guess, that empowerment and moving toward love that you'd like to share?
1: Oh. It's happening right now. So fascinating. My spouse and I went to Peru. We're just going to send love out to Peru right now. We did a really amazing 12-day trip into the Sacred Valley and then up to Machu Picchu. And we had, uh, the, the trip was really well crafted. And so we had tour guides that told us about the economy, which was is very impover- impoverished. Their food sources, their textiles, and, you know, their industry. But they also told us about their spiritual history, basically. And I learned so much. That's where I, I learned they call the earth Pachimama. I was like, wow, I love that. Wow. I love that. And then we would have we would have opportunity to get to some of these um, amazing ruins and sacred sites. And they would give us free time to just walk around and look. and And so I would often, with a handful of others on the trip, we'd sit down and just meditate in that space and feel what was happening and those people the Peruvian people that we got to meet were so open hearted and so loving and so even though they're living in a one room house that isn't finished at least where we were they just oozed love and i we got to have a blessing by a shaman a shaman of their particular spiritual path and this man came up to me and looked at me and he didn't have a lot of english and he said everything's going to be okay I was like, whoa, thank you, thank you from God's mouth to your mouth to me. (laughs) Yes. And I wasn't sure what, you know, we were going to go through the Amazon. I wasn't sure what that was, what that meant, you know, but just to trust enough and be willing to try it. And I'm having stellar, stellar trips. It doesn't mean I don't have like a mini panic attack when I'm trying to figure out what to take or, you know, go through security. I'm like, ah, (laughs) Am I going to miss the flight? Oh, but I, I find that traveling internationally, traveling to different cultures is where it opens my mind more, just opens up my mind more. Last year, we did a trip to Italy and toward the end of the trip, we ended up on the Amalfi coast with a driver, Salvatore, who played Italian opera and sang. And here I am, and my husband loves to sing. So the two of them are singing Italian opera, and I'm driving in this car on a windy road looking at this beautiful Amalfi Coast, and I was sobbing. It was so heart-opening and moving, and and because I said, yes, let's go. My spouse says, well, let's go away. we can still walk. And so we're, you know, we go. And I'm so grateful. If you want to open your mind and open your perspective, it's important to travel. I have family members that haven't left the country. And some of that perspective is pretty narrow and fear-based. And it doesn't, like I said, I traveled during the pandemic and I, there was some fear, but I just, again, put myself in my little love bubble everywhere I went, followed whatever their protocol was during the pandemic. And had amazing experiences cross-culturally.
0: Yeah, I think I've never felt more connected than when I've been overseas. Like when I've been somewhere, like I'll never forget. I mean, it was so silly, but on Bastille Day in Paris- Oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, a bunch of us are sitting at the Eiffel Tower. It was really funny because I'd actually, I had actually flown out to London on the Fourth of July that year, so I felt like kind of a traitor almost. <laughs> but you know, missing out on our big patriotic holiday, but then being at the at the Eiffel Tower on Bastille Day. And they're playing the YMCA. We see people proposing to one another. We're all watching the fireworks. We're all singing along to the songs in all the different languages. There was a group of girls from China that wanted to take our pictures together that I'd never met before. I mean, we had just such a fantastic time. And we didn't all feel like strangers, the hundreds, probably thousands of us you know, sitting out there, it just was such a feeling of connectedness that I really have not felt just in my day to day, as much as I might try to, I think going somewhere else and being around other cultures, you learn so much, you gain such an appreciation, you may even take away some of your own practices from it that you may learn. But you also just I think, see that you're you're a part of the world. in in a sense, like you're, you are a part of something bigger than yourself.
1: And it's important to make the effort in the culture that you're in, to not be the ugly American and expect that they speak English and they know what you want, but to make the effort, even, even in just learning how to say hello in that other language, that's huge. Hello and thank you is huge. And then they feel like, okay, you're respecting me. What do you want? I'll, I'll help you. But if you walk in, I, I, the first time I went to Italy, I traveled with three other women, amazing women, spiritual women, love these women, so much fun. And everywhere we went, we would walk into stores and they go, hello. I'm like, oh my no. God, we're in Italy. Buongiorno. You, you, you know, I mean, I can't say it right, but, but say, you know, grazie and buongiorno. And, you know, I, I mean, make the effort. Hello. Oh my gosh. It was, was like nails on a chalkboard for me because it, it just felt disrespectful. And these women didn't realize, you know, they just didn't realize.
0: Yeah. My dad was on the podcast actually recently. He used to be an airline pilot. And so he was sharing some of that experience and flying to south america and to um mostly to spanish-speaking countries but also to brazil he learned how to do some of the safety announcements in spanish and in portuguese and the people they they all laughed you know his accent wasn't the best but he he had someone really work with him on getting the vocabulary right and people thanked him and they said hey i know you're trying and they they appreciated it and i'm trying to learn spanish and i like you always get a smile i mean maybe they're maybe they're laughing a little bit but i'll get a smile and everyone always says oh you have such a cute accent or whatever but that you know it's cool that you're trying and that you want to learn and rather than just expecting that everyone is going to you know adapt themselves for you really trying to learn about the culture that you're in and trying to you know make the effort as much as you can
1: yeah there's a There's apps that you can, um, if you're going to a different country that speaks a different language, there's apps now on the phone where you can at least learn some rudimentary uh, sentences listening to somebody with the correct accent. And um, I took French when I was in high school and we went to France uh, during the pandemic. I've been to France several times. And what I found is... (laughs) This one time we were in Aix-en-Provence and uh, my husband and I, and we decided we wanted to eat lunch. And so we sat it outside cafe and the waiter comes And every, you know, in America, there's this story that French people are snooty and snobby and they won't talk to you. But there's a reason why that is because Americans were really ugly after World War II. Even though a lot of them ended up staying there, and and so I here, so this waiter comes up, and here I am stumbling through my French to order us uh, something, and he he kind of folded his arms and watched me struggle, and then he said he corrected he corrected my pronunciation. I was like, oh my goodness, thank you so much. You say it like blah blah blah, whatever it was. And he goes, oui, oui. Now I will get you your coffee. Okay, oh. it was so sweet, you know
0: yeah there really I mean there really is something to that and I know that like every, everybody just wants to feel that you're not expecting it and that you're making an effort and I, I mean I think it goes such a long way
1: well that works as, it, it's the same thing in in America right if you go to a, a coffee shop you know you can either be the person that expects everybody to know exactly what you want or you can be kind and gracious say thank you you know look the person in the eye the waiter or the bartender or the barista look them in the eye and engage them it takes less than less than two minutes
0: yeah and that's something that sometimes makes me sad in today's world too i mean even if we are moving toward enlightenment i still do see this that i was i think in a food court not too long ago and the guy asked me you know oh, do you want silverware oh yes please do you want this oh no thank you <laughs> and after you know as i'm checking out he said wow you have great manners and i'm thinking really all i said was please and thank you
1: And, you know,
0: the most basic things that you were taught to say and just because, of course, I don't expect like, like, yes, please, I would like a fork or no, thank you or whatever it was. And the level of like how surprised this guy was. And I was glad that it wasn't saying that it was the other way around, but I was also a little sad after that. And I'm thinking, I wonder how few people are saying please and thank you that that this Mm. guy actually felt that he needed to tell me
1: right Um, wow yeah It, it, it is sad it is very sad yeah
0: Yeah. Well, I love hearing about the travels. I'm definitely going to ask you about that. And that we we do have a travel question in the rapid fires too. any other practices in general that you recommend for you have your book on living an empowered life. And I want to I want to ask you about the book as well. But any other practices that you recommend if we have maybe five minutes in the
1: day or whatever it is, right off the top of my head, before you leave your house, it's important to take at least five minutes and surround yourself, see yourself inside a bubble filled with love, everybody, and then see it's like a mirror ball. So, so the mirrors face outward on this bubble, but it's a good foot or two above you and around you and underneath you. So you're encased in this bubble of love and the mirrors reflect anything unlike love back to the sender. And do that before you get in your car to go somewhere or do that before a, a business meeting or do that before you go to the grocery store, because people like to do a lot of little energetic drive-bys and dump their yucky stuff on you. So if, if you're in a bubble, an energy bubble of love, you can avoid most of that. You just have to remember to do it. And But once you get in the practice of doing it, I found myself running out to Trader Joe's and all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, I, I feel so gross. And I realized mm. I didn't put my bubble on. Okay, put the bubble on right now.
0: Yeah, and I feel like that's something you could do. Like if you did forget to do it, you can do it in the moment. It's a safe thing to do. And I know I'm highly sensitive and I'll pick up the, like, I'll think that I'm totally fine. And then I get home and I'm like, why am I feeling all of these things? Or, you know, I start to get stressed out when I'm in the line or whatever it is. And I feel like this is such a great practice, especially if you're highly sensitive. I mean, what a, what a. Easy but practical way to push some of that out because it's Mm -hmm. it's so easy to let those those energies in.
1: I have one more tool I can give everybody. It's real easy peasy. Rub your hands together. So we're all energy, right? We're all electrical energy. So when you rub your hands together, if you notice you get a little friction going, and then if you pull them just a a, a, you know a couple inches apart, you can begin to feel the energy between the hands. And then what you can do is give yourself an energy bath. You just take your hands. And start at your crown center. Don't touch yourself. Just start at your crown center with intention that this energy is going to put anything negative, any anger, hatred, anything negative off of your body so it doesn't stay on you. Anything sticky and you just go down the sides of your body in the front and the back at knowing that that energy from your hands is pulling it off. And then when you get down to your feet. Just put your hands toward the earth and send all that energy down into mother earth where she'll just mulch it up and, and make it good. And that's a real easy one, especially if you're feeling like you got hit by a drive by in a store or something.
0: Oh my gosh. I, I need, I, I've needed that before. So I'm definitely going to be trying that from now on too. Yay. Yeah. Cause I will leave the meeting or leave the store or any situation where there are just high levels of emotion. And lots of different things at play. And it is very, very easy to take that home with you and to just take that into your safer spaces that it does not need to be there.
1: No, it doesn't need to be there. And and sometimes I'll find myself being cranky and I'm like, why am I cranky? And then I'll realize, oh yeah, I didn't do that. You know, I need to reset. You just kind of have to reset and you have to do it often during the day sometimes.
0: Yeah. Oh, what, a, what a cool practice. This has been so fascinating. And I am so excited to share more about your book and your podcast and everything else. We do have some rapid fire questions. I love to ask the guests as well, just so that listeners can get to know you a little bit more.
1: Okay, shoot.
0: Awesome. So this one, we've, we've talked about quite a few of them, but top wellness tip for you. Top
1: wellness tip is for me, cause I'm doing it right now is just to drink lots of water. I don't remember to do that. And then I wonder why my joints are achy and mm. stuff like that. So lots of water, filtered water.
0: Now, where is your favorite travel destination? This might be a tough one.
1: (laughs) I have several because I found that I really am drawn. I probably lived there multiple times, drawn to Europe, Western Europe. So I told my husband, I'm happy to cycle from just go to Italy and then France and then Ireland and then Scotland and then England and back again, you know, and I'll add in Portugal at some point. But those, those places, I just feel an affinity to those countries, especially France. Yeah, I love France. It's
0: It's been a long time for me. I think the last time I was there, it was maybe about 10 years ago. But I loved finding, and my French is so atrocious, but I really did try. And I loved having, you know, I'd have my Pono au chocolat.
1: <laughs>
0: you you kind of, like we had the little grocery store across from the hotel where you start to have your rhythms, I think. And it was just such a, I mean, it's such a cool country and so, so much to see and do. And I I need to make a trip back there, but I love Western Europe. That's beautiful.
1: Well, France has a lot more mystical spiritual sites that I didn't know about until my last trip. And I was like, oh my God, I'm coming here again and coming here again and coming here. And Italy has the history of Rome underneath everything. And England, Ireland, Scotland has quite a few mystical sites. And I like to go to see the mystical stuff, you know, go sit near a circle of stones or, you know, or walk into an old cathedral and just feel the energy of the place.
0: Yeah, I didn't get to do a whole lot of that the last few times I've been, but I, I do love that. I feel such a call. Actually, within the US, I feel such a calling to Sedona these days for the same reason. I think that spirituality, the vortex is the healing, and there's such a power in getting to see all of that. So that is so cool. I'll have to ask you for some recommendations uh, okay. for the next time, I, yeah, next time I plan a trip for sure. <laughs> Completely different subject. If you
1: were an animal,
0: what animal would you be and Why?
1: Oh my God. That's so funny. I, I think I would be a unicorn and it's not because they're popular now, but it's because they're very, very, very ancient and wise. And I would love to be a unicorn. Oh, yes. Oh, I love that answer. It's so funny. My husband and I, when we first met, we got into this debate. Oh, unicorns aren't real. I'm like, no, yes, they are. Yes, they were. They were here because you can see. Okay, so here's one thing. When you go to Scotland and France, there are monarchies that have unicorns in their family crest. Why would they have a unicorn three or four centuries ago on their family crest if they hadn't been around? So I have several stuffed animal unicorns now. I had to tell my husband, enough with the unicorns.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I'll have to find out if the unicorns are part of um, McLaughlin. I have to find out if if any of that in in our family lineage. (laughs) That would be so cool.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, if you could master a completely new skill, what would that be? I haven't told anybody this because I haven't activated it yet. But I want to learn how to sing and not burst into tears and feel like I'm horrible because I've always wanted to sing the torch songs, you know, from like the 1940s and, you know, wear a sexy dress and be all cool. So that's that's something I I really want to do. That is so cool.
0: I love that. I love that answer. So this may tie into that, or it can really be, you know, career-wise, life-wise, travel-wise, really anything. But my final rapid fire question, um, what's next on your bucket list?
1: Okay. So this is hard for me to answer, Valerie, because I think of a bucket list as something that you're going to do in the future that you've always wanted to do. And I kind of have activated that and I'm doing those things right with my travel and and, um, and my business is like that. I have the best job in the world, not making a lot of money, but the best job in the world because I get to talk to people like you as a podcaster, and I get to work with people and help them learn how to meditate. And I just have out uh, my to-do. I got a meditation group I'm, I'm going to develop and activate this year. I've got a book that started to format when I was took that year off, and I wanted to sit down and really put it together and write it and then travel and hang out with my husband. Oh, and we're getting a new puppy next week.
0: Ooh, what kind of puppy?
1: Well, we have a Sheltie and she's four and she's very active and she needs a friend. So we're getting um, a three quarter Australian shepherd and one quarter New Zealand healer, I think. And it's a little boy and he's coming to live with us. So I'll be in puppy dumb training and potty training and, you know, sleepless nights for a little while, but I'm excited about that. So, yeah.
0: That is so, my parents just got a puppy and it's so much like having a baby, like just the, uh, you know, one of them getting up in the night to take him out. We have, I think like a, how many days accident free sign that it doesn't, it doesn't make it very long. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's
1: a great idea. I think I'll steal that and do that.
0: But he's so, I think it's so good for, they have a German shepherd too, and it's so nice for her to have this little companion. And I think it's just so like a puppy. I mean, that's, that's always such an exciting thing, but. All of those are amazing. The meditation group, the book, I think that's going to be so exciting as well. Um, talk to me about the book that you have out and about your podcast
1: too. The book, Live Your Empowered Life, A 30-Day Journey. I wrote it as an experiential book. So there's different components and journaling components where you like figure out where did you get the beliefs that you're operating under? Is it a belief if from your family of origin or or something you created yourself and then you can unhook from those beliefs through the journaling and the other processes. But I have it interact with my website, susanburrell.com, because there's guided meditations that so every day there's a different thing to do. Sometimes it's dig deep and face the fear and, and get your hands dirty. Other days it might be just focus on this affirmation. What does it how does it make you feel you know, what does it mean to you and journal about that. Other days we do, I have um, meditations for learning how to mind map so you can recreate, you can find out what your purpose is. We do that about halfway through the book. There's a video on EFT, which is tapping that helps neutralize um, emotional stuff. So you can really use your affirmations to reset who you want to be or who you are, really uncover who you are. So, and that book happened because i been teaching for so many years. So I had tons of stuff in my computer and I was away for a girls weekend convetching to my friends about, you know, I was, I thought I was writing a different book. And my one friend who used to be a student of mine, she goes, don't write about that stuff. You've got the book. It's in your computer. I'm like, what? She goes, right about what you've always been teaching all these years. And sure enough, I got home, I opened up the computer and there was everything. So the book kind of really wrote itself from affirmations and quotes and all that. And then my podcast is called Empowering Chats with Susan Burrell. And I did radio for live radio for a couple of years. I did it first five days a week, which I did that for a year and it just about killed me because that was so much content to have to build but then i did it once a week so it was a natural transition for me to move into podcasting when uh, when opportunity presented itself and i love doing it because i have amazing guests on my show i highlight people that are doing good work around the world i authors that are like exploring really crazy stuff that i love cuz i get to learn as i'm interviewing them and I, and i and i get to read their book you know so it's a fabulous job oh and i wait, hold on. And I have doing when pandemic happened, I started doing a weekly meditation on Facebook. And so all most of those meditations are now on the insight timer app. If you guys haven't heard about that, it's good way. It's a good app to easily learn how to meditate because they started with a timer. So you only got 10 minutes, you turn on the timer, it dings, you didn't even have to pay attention to that. You know, you could just meditate but now they have amazing practitioners and teachers on and then amazing meditations from for all walks of life from anything you're dealing with you know anxiety or sleeplessness or not feeling safe you know there's just all sorts of stuff so my stuff's on there too when i did that and that's why i'm going to start up a monthly meditation group because eventually it'll end up on insight timer
0: That is so cool. I am such a fan of Insight Timer. I feel like that's been such a game changer because we think of, I I think when we're not like seasoned, when it comes to meditation, you think, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to sit on an uncomfortable stool, stare at a wall, or at least that's what it was when I was a little kid. (laughs) That's how my dad did it. And I'm like, (laughs) and it's so intimidating to think about it, or we think that it has to be this very isolated event that we like, we don't even know like how to control our minds through Like we think about the monkey mind a little bit. And with the guided meditations there, I mean, there are so many great ones for whatever it is that you're going through. And so I think it's such a useful tool. So I'm really, really excited to check out your meditations on there. I think that's going to be so, so cool. Um, Thanks, I'll definitely Valerie. Yeah, I'll link that in the show notes along with your book and your podcast, of course. Let listeners know as well where they can find you on social media, any other places that they can connect with you.
1: Oh, we're on everything. LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I think we're still there. I. We haven't really talked about how we want to deal with Twitter. And if you go to my website, susanburrell.com, go all the way down to one of the pages, you'll see all the different icons. and You can click on the icon and it takes you right to where I am. Same with the insight timer. It'll take you right to where my meditations are. So, um, and can I give you your audience a a gift? Absolutely. Thank you. Okay. So I have a guided meditation that I would love to give everybody as a gift. And you go to susanburrell.com backslash free dash gift dash meditation. And I call it out of the box thinking. And it's been really um, powerful for many, many people when they do that meditation.
0: Thank you. I'm, I'm really excited to try it myself. And I'll definitely link that. I think, you know, that's very kind. And I know that a lot of listeners are kind of new into the meditation space as well. And I think that'll be so appreciated and just so needed. So truly, thank you.
1: Yay. I'm so glad. It's my honor to be of service
0: you are so appreciated. And I've really enjoyed our conversation. I love seeing where we went with everything. It's <laughs> always such a blast. And I really am just so excited to dive in a little bit further to some of the work that you're doing. So I just would love to thank you for coming on and for sharing your incredible wisdom with us and for this conversation.
1: Oh, thank you for having me, Valerie. And thank you for doing this kind of work. I this You're doing the good work, man. And that's important. So thank you. I really enjoyed
0: this conversation with Susan and I appreciate her focus on leading with love. I'm a big fan of Insight Timer for guided meditations, and I just recently did her love meditation on the app, which I highly, highly recommend. I find Susan's work to be so inspiring and impactful, and I'm really excited to continue to follow along on her podcast and on her other channels as well. So I have linked all of Susan's information in the show notes, including her page on Insight Timer if you're looking for some incredible guided meditations, as well as the free gift that she's offering our listeners on her website. Be sure to connect with Susan to learn more. As always, I want to thank each and every one of you for being a part of the Wellness and Wanderlust community and for sharing this part of your day with me, whether we are on your commute, your workout, getting ready for the day with you, whatever it is. If you have a topic you would like us to explore in the future on this show, please feel free to reach out to me. You can drop me a line at Valerie, V-A-L-E-R-I-E, at wellnessandwanderlust.net, or you can reach out to me on Instagram at blog. You can lend your support to the show by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It makes a huge difference for podcasters when you do that. And I would love to hear what you have to say if the show resonates with you. I hope you all have a fantastic day. And I can't wait to share another incredible episode with you soon. Take care.